What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. The writer of Hebrews sets out on a mission. And his mission is to reveal to his audience that there is nothing that compares to Jesus. And he goes back in the first few chapters and he talks about how God in times past spoke through these prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us through his son. And he begins to transition and talk about how that this Jesus is greater than the angels. He begins to talk about how this Jesus is greater than Moses, how this Jesus is greater than Aaron, how this Jesus is greater than than Joshua, how this Jesus is greater than the entire system of the Old Testament law, and how all of the Old Testament was pointing us to this one central character named Jesus. And he's writing to more of a Jewish audience. And it's very obvious when you read the book of Hebrews, it's almost like you're getting a summarization of the entire Old Testament. And so it's interesting here. We know that in chapter 11, he's going back and, and, and is being inspired by the, the writer and prophet Habakkuk about how the just shall live by faith. But it's interesting here. I believe that, that the writer of Hebrews is utilizing these great characters of the Old Testament to emphasize that the way to God has always been by faith faith. And as we've studied so far, we know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We understand that for by faith, all of these elders, these one that have gone before us, have obtained great favor with God. In verse number three, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that it is by faith that we believe in origins. It's not a scientific matter. No matter what the chemist or biologist or physicist says, origins is a faith matter. No matter whether you believe in creation as God said it was in Genesis or you believe in in the, the cosmic explosion that exploded itself and the process of evolution all these years. Whatever you view it as, it has to be by faith because you weren't there, I weren't there, nobody was there. But we do have an eyewitness and that is God and God gave us his eyewitness in his word. So I'm gonna trust his word over anybody else's word. And then in in verse number four, the Bible speaks about this concept of, of worshiping God by faith and coming to God God's way through the sacrifice of his son and believing his faith, through that by faith. In verse five, we see how, how Enoch is mentioned about how we walk with God by faith. But now the focus and lens is upon another great character, Noah. Would you say that name with me? Noah. Today, the message is about the faith of Noah. It's a character that you probably have heard of before. It's a story that we often just allude to during little children's Sunday school or junior church. And and we we, we paint this unique um, ark with all these animals outside of it. And that is not the reality of what this ark looked like. But I want you to know that that this verse is more than just a story that we tell little children. 
that this verse summarizes Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9 in an amazing way with just one simple sentence that I couldn't do, that you couldn't do. But by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the writer of Hebrews summarizes all that's going on in the life of Noah, and he reminds us that we are to work by faith, that we are to have obedient faith. And so if you walk away with anything today, I want you to leave with this thought. God wants his people to have obedient faith. I'm talking about obedience that sets you apart from everybody else that you've ever known. I'm talking about obedience that that sets you apart from the world and the world looks at you as like, you're really going to do that? Out of all that's going on in the world, we've never seen anything like this before and you're going to do this? Obedient faith is what God is calling you and me to right now in our life. Throughout Hebrews chapter 11, the phrase by faith occurs many times, but I found it interesting that it occurs multiple times here in this text. By faith, Noah, in verse number seven, the first part, and then all of these things is by faith, the very last verse. This verse begins by faith and ends by faith. Isn't that amazing? Our life should begin by faith and our life should end by faith. And then in between that whole season of the beginning of faith, the ending of faith, it should be consumed with this concept of obedient faith. Surely there was a day in my life and your life when we come to faith in Christ and and we believed him by faith and faith alone. But then we live out that faith each and every day with obedience, my friends. Today the question is this, what is obedient faith? We talk about living by faith. We talk about how he lived by faith here in Noah. But, 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 but what about this idea of obedient faith? What is it? What does it mean? How do I know if I have it? Well, all those questions I seek to answer today. And I want to share with you five thoughts from verse 7. But I want you to, to understand that as we walk through verse number 7, that the writer of Hebrews is summarizing events from Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. And so there are times where we need to to either go back in our mind or go back in the word of God to to get an understanding of what is going on in a context. But look at the first part of verse number 7. As I read, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. I wrote down this first thought I want to share with you. Obedient faith is receiving God's purposeful mission. Did you catch that? Obedient faith is receiving God's purposeful mission. Just as the army or the navy or the marines or or the Air Force, or the, all the branches of the military go out into combat and they receive a mission from the, from the highest official in the army or in, in the military. Just, just the same manner, we have been given a mission by God and it is involved in the Great Commission. And as Brother Joel and I were talking before the Sunday School Hour, that, that we're all involved in that, but we all have a specific place and a specific role within the Great Commission. And today, we're going to look at this idea about how God gave Noah a mission. And his mission was to build a boat. His mission was to warn the people of the coming judgment. This takes us back to Genesis chapter 6, 
verses 1 through 21, about how this world on which we are living on right now is so perverse and so corrupted. The Bible says that, that, that mankind pushed God out of their imaginations. The Bible says that mankind pushed God out of their conversations. And the Bible tells us that mankind pushed God out of their actions. So any way you look at it in their thoughts, their words, or deeds, mankind said, God, we're locking the doors. God, we're shutting the windows. We're not allowing you in our lives. And there's a whole lot going on in Genesis chapter 6 that we're not going to get into. And I'd be happy to get into the details of it after the service with you if you'd like. But here the Bible says that God looks down upon humanity and it says that God's heart was grieved in such a way that he decided man has got to come to an ending and have a restart. And as he's looking in all of society, he finds one man that catches his eye and his name was, say it with me, Noah. And the Bible says that in Genesis chapter 6 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Bible says that Noah was a just man. He was a perfect man. That means he was blameless. He lived his life in such a way that if you went digging, you couldn't find a whole lot of dirt. Now we understand that, that Noah eventually would, would sin in the, in the record of Genesis. And we know Noah was not a perfect man. But through the, the faith, he was made righteous. And we'll get into that later on. But, but anyways, God gave Noah a mission in Genesis 6. Build a boat for 120 years. Now, now I want to pause right here and just say this, that there's a lot of people who, who come to Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9, and they'll say, well, maybe, maybe this was a, a worldwide flood. Maybe it was not a worldwide flood. Maybe this was a localized flood. Maybe this is just a big old story that's meant to reveal that one day God's going to judge us all. Now, I want to just share this with you. I believe strongly that in Genesis chapter 6, this was a real event. It was such a catastrophe. We see the ripple effects even in our day right now. In fact, a clear reading of Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9 reveals to you, to me, that this was a worldwide event. This was a literal event that literally took place some 4,500 years ago. You say, well, what's your evidence for that? Well, I want to take you back to 1980. In 1980, I understand, I wasn't alive then, but in 1980, I understand that, that Mount St. Helens erupted and created a miniature Grand Canyon in a matter of hours. And so when you go to the Grand Canyon today, I believe strongly that that is not the product of millions and millions of years of the Colorado River. I believe it is the very handiwork of the cosmic destruction from the worldwide flood. The high mountains like Mount Everest, the deep valleys like the Mariana Trench, all of those things in the ocean, all of those things are the effects and the aftermath of a flood. And then the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, 9 that the entire world, it says all the earth, all the people outside of Noah's family and all the animals outside of the ark died. And so if you could just imagine, Noah, every time that he took his hammer and he drove that nail, or whatever it was he was using, drove it into the boat, he was obeying God because God gave him a mission. They took the pitch, or they took the, the, the stuff, if you will, the paint, if you will, and they take the, the paintbrush, they dig it in there, and they begin to, to paint this big boat. And every single time they wave that brush, they were obeying God. 
God has given you a mission. God has given me a mission. I highly doubt that you'll live for 120 years. I highly doubt that you'll be able to obey God for that length of time. But whatever time that God allows you, whether it's 20 years, whether it's 40 years, or whether it is 85, 95 years, whatever the amount of time that God gives you, I want to urge you from this day forward, obey God by receiving his mission for your life. Now, my mission is to be a pastor. That may not be your mission. And if it happens to be someday in the future, I will rejoice with you. But if it's not, I'm going to rejoice with you that God is going to plug you in to this great commission wherever he calls you. Now, secondly today, I'm going to think about the second phrase here. He was warned. This gives this idea of a calling, of a cautioning in such a way that it moves him to obedience. The thing's not seen. It gives the idea that it's going to rain. This flood's going to take place. They haven't seen that kind of stuff to the best of our understanding. It didn't rain before the flood. To the best of our understanding, there was a canopy of water or a canopy of, of some sort of solid liquid or gas or water that surrounded the earth to where men and women could live longer, to where the environment was different. And then they haven't seen rain or, or a flood, and, and the dew came up from the ground, and, and, and that's how they had all the stuff to water the, the uh, plants. But here it says that, that this, this warning, this, this calling that God placed on Noah, this mission, moved him to godly reverence, or as the King James says, fear. So secondly today, obedient faith is not only receiving God's purposeful mission, but secondly, obedient faith is worshiping God with fearful adoration. Moved with fear. That that sense of reverence in the presence of God, I believe, is something that's lost in the modern church. We don't have the idea of reverence anymore. We think we can come to God any way we, we so please, but that's not how it works. There has to be this level of reverence. The way we come into God's presence is we adore him and praise him and worship him. Then we come in, we confess our sins before him because we realize that we are broken and fallen and, and, and we need God's forgiveness. Then, then, then we, we begin to, to thank him for all that he's done in our life and then we bring our petitions and requests before him. We just don't march into God's presence with like a genie in a bottle kind of idea. We worship him with fearful adoration and when we get a little sense of this reverence and holiness of God, it will move us to obedience, my friends. It will move us to say, God, wherever you want me to go, I will go. God, whatever you want me to do, I will do. God, whatever you want me to say, I will say it. Notice in Genesis chapter 6, you don't need to turn there, but just listen to these words. In Genesis chapter 6, the very last verse of the chapter says, thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. God primarily speaks to us through his word. But in the day in which Noah was alive, the entire canon wasn't available. And so God would audibly speak to man in those times in a unique way. And so if you could just imagine, if you're hearing the voice of God speak to you, it would move you to worship and fear him and to adore him. Proverbs says, the fear of man brings a snare. You know what a snare is, right? Have you ever set up a trap? Years ago, we 
I probably have told you this story a million times, and we'll just do a million and one today. Uh, hallelujah. We had a major problem here in our church outside of our walls. It was the cursed groundhogs. And we put out these cages. Somebody put a piece of pizza in the cage, and we didn't catch a groundhog that day. We caught a black and white animal called a skunk. And when it was, when the skunk had the tragic experience of death, it let off his spray and it stunk to high heaven right here. Isn't that interesting how when we think about the smell of a skunk and how we can trap it with a snare or a cage. The Bible says that the fear of man brings a snare. When we don't have the godly reverence for God that we should, we will seek to reverence something else. And if we reverence anything besides God, it'll bring a snare. Do you have that type of obedient faith that reverences God with adoration? Do you have this type of obedient faith that has, is willingly receiving the mission God has for your life? Well, well let, me, let me share with you thirdly today. Obedient faith is not just receiving God's mission and worshiping God with adoration, but, but obedient faith is serving God with faithful preparation. Obedient faith, did you hear me? Is serving God with faithful preparation. This is something we really don't understand here. Um, notice here, it says move with fear. This means that he was compelled in such a way to have this reverence for God. And then it says prepared an ark to the saving of his house. This idea of preparation. I'm, I'm afraid we don't understand this level of preparation that, that Noah had. Now, there are some commentators that are going to speculate to say that, that it is possible that Noah hired out some people that were of the world to come in and to help him build this massive boat because it was, it was rather large, okay? This was not just a little old fishing boat that you go into Smith Mountain Lake and, and ride. This was a massive, massive structure. And so some have speculated there. But, but he just continually persisted. No matter what the people said, no matter what the people did, him and he recruited his family for sure. They just continued to build and to strike the hammer, paint that thing, and put it into place to chop the wood, chop the, cut the trees down, to, to log it up in such a way to where he would have the lumber he needed, to bring it there to finally one day, 120 years later. You know, I'm afraid that we have a hard enough time obeying God for 120 hours, much less 120 years. We have a hard enough time obeying God for 120 days, much less 120 years. We have a hard enough time obeying God for 120 weeks, much less 120 years. My friends, I think it is time that we understand that we need revival in the church today because we need a revival of faithful preparation and serving God. And how do we do that today? 
I'm not here to say that you need to go off to Bible college or seminary to prepare for serving God. No, no, that, that could be a way if God is calling you that. But the way that we faithfully serve God and prepare to serve him each day is by opening up this thing. Maybe, maybe you've never heard of it before, but it's called a Bible. You know, most people just collect dust in their bookshelf or coffee shelf. But I'm here to tell you something. If you want to faithfully serve God with preparation, you're going to get in this book right here every single day. You're going to get lost in the word of God. And you're going to say, oh, God, I need to get up so early today so that I can, I can be prepared for you. Oh, God, I'm going to take my lunch break and I'm going to read your word. Oh, God, I'm going, to, I'm going to go home today. And instead of eating dinner, I'm going to read your word and pray and spend time with you. And in Genesis chapter 7 and 8, we read about this time when, when Noah prepared. And the time came when, when this ark was completed, and, and I'm sure he, he's thinking, God, um, you want me to bring how many animals? You want me to bring two of every kind of, and seven of, of all the clean? Just eight of us, how are we going to do that, God? And if you read the story carefully, you'll realize that these animals just came. Noah didn't have to do anything but build the ark. As I think about that, I'm reminded that, that all we're called to do is faithfully serve God, and we leave the results up to Him. And you know the story. The flood did come. And He was able to rescue His family. That's what the word saving of his house or saving of his family means, that he was able to rescue his family. And here is a great picture, my friends, of, of somebody else. You might know who I'm thinking of right now, but it's Jesus. How Jesus came to save his church, how Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And my friends today, if you want to receive the goodness and faithfulness and loving kindness of God, the only way to do it is through the ark of the cross only way by no other way can any man be saved and if you could just imagine this forethought here obedient faith is not just serving god with faithful preparation obedient faith is not just worshiping god with fearful adoration and receiving god's purposeful mission but fourthly today obedient faith is sharing the gospel with graceful condemnation Obedient faith is sharing the gospel with graceful condemnation. Look at the next part of the verse. It says, by faith Noah being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. And then check it out now. By the which he condemned the world. Now that sounds mean. That sounds harsh. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, and verse number five, listen to these words. It says, it says, and spare not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bring in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. The Bible calls Noah a preacher of unrighteousness. Can you imagine being, being the pastor in, in the land? And for 120 years, you're shepherding your flock and nobody comes to faith. I'm not talking about 12 church services. I'm not talking about 120 days. I'm talking 120 years, no converts outside of your own sons and daughter-in-laws. And maybe they weren't even saved. Who knows? But perhaps they were. Most likely they were. There's two ways to look at this. 
The Bible says that he condemned the world the first way is through his actions. There they're coming and scoffing him and making fun of him and ridiculing him. I mean, it has to be. I mean, he's saying, hey, there's going to be a flood. It's going to rain. And to the, up to that time, it never rained to our understanding. It never had a, never seen a big flood. And so here they're coming. Oh, no, it's, <laughs> it's going to do what now? You say, it's, it's going to, water's going to drop from the sky. Have you lost your mind, buddy? <laughs> Have you gone a little bipolar here? You need to go see a, a professional a psychologist here to get right. And he just kept on laboring. He kept going out into the woods and chopping those trees down and, and fitting the lumber just right and bringing and, and, and striking the hammer and the nail and there putting all that pitch on the side of the boat. And his obedience, without even speaking, condemned the world. And I'm here to tell you something. There's times in our lives when we just obey God that it condemns the world. And because of our simple obedience to following the commands of Scripture in Christ, the world looks on us and scoffs us and hates us because of the lifestyle in which we lived. Now, we are not called to go out and to have this holier-than-thou perspective and to be pointing our fingers at the world, but I am here to tell you something, that we are called to live out our life in such a way that the world realizes something's different about us. And in the other way that he condemned the world, is by preaching and proclaiming the message of judgment. But this has got to be proclaimed with grace. Graceful. It's a word that, that, that oh, so-and-so was so graceful on the ice. You watch these figure skaters skate, and they're just so graceful. They just somehow twirl and flip and do all these things so gracefully that they land that if I went out there and I tried it, I'd break every bone in my body. And so would you. And so as we're out sharing the gospel, we are called to, to share the entire message about, yes, God loves the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But at the same time, we say that anybody who rejects the message of the cross is going to spend total separation from God's grace, love, and mercy in, the, in eternity in hell. We balance the two like Noah did. We are, we are to have this obedient faith that we're going to share the gospel. I'm going to share the gospel wherever I am. We are called to do that. And we leave the results up to God. And so we might be here for another 12, 24, 36, or 48 years longer. And if God gives us a harvest of souls this year or not, we are going to preach the word of God. We're going to stand upon the word of God and proclaim the goodness and grace and judgment to come. But if he so sends us a harvest of souls, we're going to praise our God. Because God is the one who saves the souls. Not you, not me. So let me ask you something. Just walk into the seminary classroom. And let's put Noah on the stand. Noah, were you an expositor of the scriptures? Did you take the word of God and, and preach it in such a way that everybody could understand it? Noah, did you have any converts? As much as I love Spurgeon, Spurgeon's test of any preacher was that you got to have converts. Noah, did you have any converts in those 120 years? No. I find it so interesting 
so many times we say somebody's a successful person in ministry with pragmatics and our modern classification of success when Noah preached faithfully for 120 years and nobody came to believe Jehovah God. Let's leave the results to God. But let's be faithful to share the gospel. Condemned means to declare somebody guilty. We are all guilty. But I'm so thankful that this same word here, at least in the English Bible, appears another place in Romans. And it says, or at least a synonym, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me just tell you something. If you're in Christ, you have nothing that will ever condemn you in the presence of God in eternity. Because of this last thing right here. Look at verse 7. It goes on to say, And became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now remember, here, the writer of Hebrews is talking to a Jewish audience who's trying to, it appears, they're trying, they're being tempted to go back underneath the system of the law. And, and the writer of Hebrews is saying everything's by faith here. This verse ends with by faith and begins with by faith and says that you could become an heir or an inheritor of righteousness, which is all by faith. And so fifthly today, obedient faith is inheriting God's merciful justification. Obedient faith is inheriting God's merciful justification. This word heir, it means somebody who is a possessor of something somebody gave them through an inheritance. Maybe you've inherited things in your lifetime. Maybe it was a house, maybe it was a car, maybe it was a wad of cash from somebody's retirement accounts. Whatever it might be, hey, I'm sure it was really cool. But all that is rubbish. And yes, I said rubbish, or should I say Dung, as scripture says, as Paul said, all of it is as human waste compared to the concept of inheriting eternal life in Jesus Christ. Yes, I understand that this inheritance is totally by faith, that we can be justified totally by faith, that God applies his righteousness, or God's, the, the, the Father applies the Son's righteousness to our account, and it's applied there, and so there, where there's nothing in us that could ever obtain this righteousness. It's all by faith. But then our life should reflect the idea that we've inherited this gift of faith each day. Genesis chapter 9, this is encouraging. In Genesis chapter 9, we see that, that, you know, these birds are released, and, or at least in the story, we see the birds are released, and finally they, 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 they touch land, and, and they come out, and, and Noah builds this altar, and he worships God. He takes some of these clean animals that God uh, required him to bring in this ark. They, they build this altar. They have this sacrifice, and there they worship God. And then at the end of chapter 9, the Bible says that Noah got drunk. Noah was a sinner just like us. And today, the, the encouraging thing about Noah here is that Noah is just like you and me. He was fallen, he was human, and God used him. And so no matter what you might have done in the past or what you're doing right now in the present or what you will get involved into the future, God is gracious and God can use you and God can wipe your slate of sin clean. Over the last few days, there's been a whole lot of chatter and talk about revival. And I think it's so humorous 
that so many people think they're experts about what revival is, and they're giving their thoughts on social media. Let me just share something with you. I don't care how many degrees you might think you have. I don't care how much experience you might think you have. I don't care what you think you have. There's only one person who's experienced in revival, and his name is God. And there's only one source of revival, and his name is God. Only God can send revival to the earth. But I, I'm just convinced that, that, that if we even saw what real revival is, we would dismiss it. Because we are so consumed with legalism. We're so consumed with thinking that we get to God our own way. We're so consumed with Phariseeism, thinking that, hey, revival can't happen unless it happens within these four little squares and boxes in our own life. If we even saw revival, we would dismiss it with our Sadduceeism. Oh, well, they don't have the same theology that we do, so they can't experience an outpouring of God's Spirit. If we saw revival, we would be filled with skepticism and say, oh, God can't do that today. We would be enamored with pessimism. There's no doubt Noah's day needed great revival. And they looked up to God and they shook their fists at God and said, we don't want to be awakened by your spirit. And I'm afraid most churches are doing that right now. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, Moses, is not, and Peter are not the only ones to mention Noah. In fact, the New Testament, the Gospels, Jesus mentions Noah of all people. And he says that, that just like the days of Noah and the days of Lot, so shall be the second coming of the Son. So think about this. Man will be so preoccupied with life, they will have no time for God. This past Tuesday, I, at 12.30 in the afternoon, I drove six and a half hours to go to that revival at Asbury University. And there, I was there for about three hours. And, and three hours, I stood nearly the entire time. People singing, worshiping. I heard a, a, a powerful sermon on prayer. And I hopped to my car, and I drove through the night and got back at 6 a.m. And as I was there, there was no emphasis on take your children to the nursery from ages 100 all the way to number one. Everybody was present. They did not care who was leading the singing or what particular style they were singing with. They were, not compare, they were not really cared about who was delivering the sermon as long as somebody was delivering a sermon that was based upon the word of God. Today, I'm afraid we need revival here at this church because we are more concerned about what styles of songs we are singing than what songs, than who we are singing to. I'm afraid we need revival here at this church because we are more concerned about who's doing the teaching than who the teaching is about. I'm afraid we need revival here because we are so concerned about getting to IHOP before the Methodists and the Presbyterians that if God chose... What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk.
by I'm gonna keep my I'm gonna live by faith I'm gonna walk by I'm gonna keep my I'm gonna live by faith Keep the faith Keep the faith Keep the faith Keep the faith